Welcome to the teaching ministry of Grace Baptist Church in Santa Maria, California. Join our pastors as they share biblical principles of God's transforming grace so that you may learn God's word in order to live God's way. Good morning, Grace. Let's open our Bibles to the book of Philemon. We've been singing about the freedom that we have in Jesus Christ And I hope that you come to experience that freedom even more today. That freedom is only made possible because God made a movement towards us while we were enemies with him, Romans 5 tells us. God reconciled us to himself through the work of his son. That's for those who have repented of their sins and trusted in Jesus Christ. What a good God that we serve, that he would come to us when we were rebels And loved us enough that he sent his son and gave us a spirit as a down payment guaranteeing what is to come to our future that we've been adopted into his family. He's been so good to us. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your great love that you did show through the life and death and resurrection of your son. The pain and the agony that he experienced as he saw You turn away as we were singing, God. And as you poured your wrath out upon him to bring your people to you, God, we stand amazed. We stand amazed this morning, God, your great love for us. And we know that we are set free. We believe it. It is true that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. God, this morning as we look at your word, may we... Pray with the psalmist, send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me to your holy hill, and then I will go to the altar of God, to God, my exceeding joy. Would you become our exceeding joy once again this morning, Father, as we hit the refresh button on the gospel, and then get great glory as we find our delight in you, in Jesus' name. Amen. He was face to face with his enemy. Lieutenant Michael Long of the Glider Pilot Regiment was in Holland leading a fighting patrol through some heavy undergrowth during World War II. Suddenly, he came face to face with a German soldier. Lieutenant Long opened fire with his revolver, but he was no match for the German and his submachine gun. Michael Long dropped to the ground with shots in his thigh. He had only grazed the German's ear with his pistol. Then the German soldier promptly sat on Long's chest and began spraying the area with his submachine gun. As the German was relentlessly showering the area with bullets, the hot shell cases were falling into the neck of Lieutenant Long's clothes. And infuriated Long nudged the German soldier, pointed to the shell cases, and hollered out in his best broken German, It's hot! It's hot! The German replied with precise German words, Oh, yes! And then the German shifted his position so the shells would not burn Lieutenant Long anymore. After the German had finished firing, he searched Long and was on the verge of tossing out Michael Long's first aid kit. Long, however, pointed to his thigh, and the German pointed to his ear. 
And with the firing continuing all around them, the two soldiers, the two enemies, bandaged each other's wounds before Michael Long became a POW. That's not the sort of care that you expect between enemies, but that is exactly the sort of care and love that God expects between his people and their enemies, especially if their enemies are in the same church that they go to. That is precisely the care and love that Paul expects Philemon, the man that he is writing to, to show to his runaway slave Onesimus. That is exactly the kind of care and love that the gospel produces when disciples rehearse the gospel often. Our big idea today is this. Gospel refreshment happens when hearts captivated by Jesus are catapulted to love others. Gospel refreshment will happen here, Grace, when we are captivated by Jesus and his great love for us, and as we are then catapulted forth in gospel refreshment to love others. That's what we'll see in verses 4 through 7. Philemon was one of those disciples who rehearsed the gospel often. His heart became captivated by Jesus, and he was then catapulted to go love and care for others. But what's interesting here is that even though Philemon has been refreshing people with the gospel, Paul will call on his brother in Christ to do it even more. In this letter, Paul is calling on Philemon to refresh his own heart. Paul's saying, refresh my heart. He'll say that later in verse 20. But he's also calling on Philemon to refresh the heart of Onesimus, his runaway slave, by welcoming him back with open arms and extending grace and mercy to him. Philemon is a picture of what a disciple looks like. There's there's gospel transformation happening in his life. There's evidence of God's grace at work in his life. But he has not arrived yet. Like all disciples, he is always in need of more personal gospel rehearsal. Remembering all that Jesus is for us in the gospel message. And that personal gospel rehearsal then leads to more corporate gospel refreshment. It is only as we are captivated by Jesus, captivated by the gospel message, captivated by all that God is for us in his son Jesus Christ, that we will then be catapulted to love, care for, and serve others. We're just too selfish. We love ourselves too much. We need power. We need something to free us, to liberate us from our love affair with ourself, to catapult us into a ministry of gospel refreshment and loving others. That power comes from being satisfied with Jesus, finding our joy in Him as our treasure in this life. Loving Jesus should cause you to love others. Whenever we are so satisfied with all that God is for us in Jesus, it frees us, it liberates us to die to our desires, our wants, our wishes. It frees us to put selfishness to death, to kill self. 
and to then go and seek the good of others. Gospel refreshment happens in a church community, in a church body, when we individually pursue our joy in Jesus and we're captivated by Him. And then we're catapulted to go and love and serve others so that their joy in Jesus gets unleashed. That's what verses 4 through 7 are telling us. Oh, how we need this. Oh, how we resist it. Our tendency is to only strive for our own joy. Or we may not even strive for our joy. We may not even give a rip if, I'm ha- if we're happy in Jesus. Or we may only just say, I'm concerned about being happy in Jesus. So our tendency is only to strive for our joy and never seek the happiness of others. Our tendency is to view our relationship with Jesus, as we saw last week, as sitting on the beach with our Bible, praying, getting the warm fuzzies, getting those goosebumps, and say, Jesus, I love you. You're awesome. You never bother me. All these other people bother me. Our tendency is to stay there and never go out to the unlovable. I'm not saying don't go to the beach, read your Bible, and love Jesus. I'm not saying get rid of the warm fuzzies. I live for the warm fuzzies in Jesus. But I got when we sang the songs that we were just singing. Do that. You must do that daily. My primary business every morning is getting my soul happy in the Lord. You have to do that. But you don't stop there. You move on. On a gospel refreshment mission. As you get joy in Jesus. As you rehearse the gospel. Then move out like a tsunami and a hurricane, and flood the lives of the people you know with gospel service that refreshes their hearts. That's what discipleship is all about. It's about being captivated by Jesus and then being catapulted to love others. That's what Philemon was like. Look at verses 4 and 5. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have towards the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. Paul now switches to address Philemon personally here because the you here is singular in Greek. The you in verse 3, grace to you, peace to you, is plural. Or Paul was saying that to the church body. Now he switches gears and he says, Philemon, I want to talk to you personally. So you have to picture Paul in prison as he's writing this letter. Imagine him, imagine him thinking about all the people that he's in, in gospel relationship and gospel fellowship with, people that are involved in his ministry. He's thinking about them. He's praying for all of the gospel partners that support his ministry, all the people that he's close with. And he says, Philemon, I'm thinking about you. I'm praying for you. Every time I'm praying, I remember you. And you come to mind, Philemon, I always thank God for you. I thank God for the evidence of his grace that I see in your life. In fact, I always thank him for the evidence of grace that I'm always hearing about you. The the word here is a present uh, tense participle in Greek. It's this ongoing thing. Paul is saying, I'm continually getting reports about you, Philemon. I'm getting phone calls, I'm getting emails, I'm getting text messages. People are getting on my wall and Facebook and saying, have you heard about Philemon, what God's doing in his life? But what was Paul hearing specifically about Philemon? 
How was the transforming grace of God working in Philemon's life? Look again at verse 5. Paul will tell us, Because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have towards the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. Paul is saying that every time he thinks about Philemon, he thanks God for Philemon because he keeps hearing that Philemon loves the church and believes in Jesus. He believes the gospel. Paul keeps getting reports that Philemon's heart has been captivated by Jesus, and as a result, he has been catapulted to love others. What does that phrase mean when Paul says, the love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and all the saints? Does this mean that Philemon had faith and love for Jesus and faith and love for the saints? No, rather it means that Philemon had love for the saints and faith in Jesus. In Greek, you see it more in, in what's called a chiastic structure. The, the Greek letter for X is key, so you see this kind of uh, structure here in the Greek. You see it says the love, the faith which you have toward the Lord Jesus for all the saints. So the two A parts go together, the love for all the saints the faith toward the Lord Jesus, and the middle part, which is what Paul wants to emphasize, is which you have. He says, you have this, Philemon. These aren't rumors that I've heard about you. You have love for all of the saints, and you have faith that's directed towards and rooted in Jesus Christ and his work for you. So Paul says, I give thanks to God because these two qualities are evident in your life. Philemon, you love the church. You don't complain about the church. You don't complain about new ministries that start in the church. You don't complain about whatever it is that we all complain about. Philemon, you don't do that. You love the church. You love the people that make up the church that meets in your house. You care for them, Philemon. And your faith is directed towards and rooted in Jesus Christ and his life and death and resurrection. Paul says, I thank God that these two qualities are evident in your life. I keep hearing about it. And now it's these two qualities, Philemon, that I'm going to turn around and use as my basis or the ground for me to tell you to accept Onesimus, your runaway slave, to accept him back into your life. Not just as your slave, but now as your brother in the Lord. Paul is saying, Philemon, you love all the saints, which should now include Onesimus. because Paul's going to tell him later in the letter that, that Onesimus is now a believer. You should love all the saints and believe in and be captivated by Jesus, who happens to be the great forgiver. So, brother, receive Onesimus back. Forgive your new brother in Christ, your runaway slave. Paul expects Philemon to minister to Onesimus the same way he's been ministering to all the other saints, all the other church members that meet in his house. Because Philemon loves and cares for the saints, which should now include Onesimus, he should act accordingly. Because Philemon has faith in the gospel, faith in the Lord Jesus, his master, he should act accordingly now as a gracious master to Onesimus, his runaway slave. To paraphrase, Paul's saying, when I remember you, Philemon, I always thank God. When I hear about the evidence of God's grace in your life, I thank God. When I hear good reports about you, I thank God. 
I'm hoping to hear another great report about you, brother. I'm hoping to hear that you have forgiven Onesimus. I'm praying for you, brother. Your track record is to love and forgive and refresh the hearts of the saints. Do it again, bro. Keep being captivated by Jesus. Keep believing the gospel. Keep faith in the gospel. Keep gospel refreshment happening in your life. Keep believing all that God is for you in Jesus. Keep finding your joy and satisfaction in Jesus. And keep on loving your brothers and sisters in Christ. Gospel refreshment happens in a church body when hearts that are captivated by Jesus are catapulted out into service and care and love for others. Two quick observations that are important for us to see here. Observation one, I believe that Philemon had a joyful heart. I believe that he was captivated by Jesus. The text does not say captivated by Jesus, but it does say and does have this phrase, faith toward Jesus. I believe that his faith in Jesus, faith toward Jesus, faith in the gospel would have produced a captivated heart that led him to die to self and to minister to others and refresh their hearts, which is what Paul says that he does in verse 7. So I think Philemon had a joyful heart. Observation two is I think Paul got refreshed by Philemon. I get that from Paul saying that he always thanked God for Philemon. Hearing these reports about Philemon produced joy, I believe, in Paul's heart because he'll go on and tell us in verse 7 that Paul says, I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, Philemon. Gospel refreshment came to Paul because Paul heard that Philemon's heart overflowed with love for others. I love how John Piper defines love. Love is the overflow of joy in God, which gladly meets the needs of others. You want to know what love is? Love is the overflow of your joy in God that gladly happily meets the needs of others. Based on that definition, I think Philemon was loving the saints. Philemon's joy in God overflowed, and he was gladly meeting the needs of the saints and refreshing their hearts. What's so encouraging about this passage to me is that Philemon had not yet arrived. Philemon still had work to do in his own heart. It's encouraging to me because there are always relationships and situations where disciples must rehearse the gospel and apply its power to their life. We don't ever arrive until Jesus comes back and makes our bodies new. I don't know if it's encouraging to you. It's encouraging to me. I haven't arrived. Ask my family. Look at verse 7. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. What, what does this prayer mean? What is Paul saying? If you're familiar with Paul, sometimes he stacks up these clauses. You know, he drives the grammar uh, people nuts because he's got comma and pauses. Just, what does he mean when he says what he says here? 
the various ways that Bible translators have translated it shows us that there's some question as to what he's saying. The key to, to it, though, is understanding what does he mean when he says fellowship, when he says that Greek word that we all know, koinonia. It doesn't just mean to have a potluck. It means to share in something, to participate in something. Paul is praying about Philemon's faith and the fact that he participates in something with other believers. But what is he praying? There's two views. Evidence, by the way, Bible translators translate this. View number one, when Paul says the sharing of your faith, the sharing of your faith means sharing the faith, sharing the gospel, doing evangelism, telling unbelievers about Jesus Christ. That's view number one. It's captured in the NIV. I pray that you may be active in sharing your faith. It's captured in the contemporary English version. As you share your faith with others, It's captured in the ESV, which is my preference, but not here. I pray that the sharing of your faith. This view holds that Paul is praying for Philemon. I'm praying that you go out and start telling people about Jesus, that you evangelize and talk to your co-workers about Jesus. But based on the context, I don't think Paul's talking about that because he hasn't been talking about doing evangelism. He's talking about the rift between Philemon and Onesimus and really the effect it's having upon the church body. So I hold view number two. View number two is the sharing of your faith equals the faith in Jesus shared with other believers. That that Philemon has faith in Jesus, and so do all the people that are in the church with him and all the other believers that he knows. They all have a shared faith in Jesus. It's captured by the Holman Christian Standard Bible. I pray that your participation in the faith may become effective through knowing every good thing that is in us for the glory of Christ. Or the New Century Version. I pray that the faith you share with others may make you understand every blessing that we have in Christ. Or the New English Translation. I pray that the faith you share with us may deepen your understanding of every blessing that belongs to you in Christ. And the New Living Translation, which I think gets at the heart of it, says, And I am praying that you will put into action the generosity that comes from your faith as you understand and experience all the good things we have in Christ. This view holds that Paul is praying that the faith of Philemon, which is faith in Jesus, directed towards Jesus, faith in the gospel, and is shared with all the other believers that have faith in Jesus, directed towards Jesus, and faith in the gospel, that that faith in Philemon's life would be deepened. Paul is praying that Philemon would go deeper into the gospel, that he would become captivated by Jesus even more as he understands and comes to grips with every good thing that he has in the gospel message. Paul is praying for Philemon that the faith that he shares with other believers in the gospel would deepen his understanding of all the gospel blessings and promises that he has in Christ. Or, as that Philemon reflects on the gospel fellowship that he has with others, it would cause his understanding of all that Jesus has done for him to be further deepened. Paul is saying that he wants Philemon to grasp, come to grips with, and understand all that Jesus Christ is for him in the gospel message. But then, he says, I want you to understand it, but I want you to go deeper into the truth. I want your heart once again to be struck by how much God loves you 
as evidenced in his sending his son, Jesus Christ. To put it another way, when Philemon thinks about how he is a part of the body of Christ because of the grace and mercy of God that came to him when he was a rebel and a sinner and an enemy, that it would cause his understanding to go deeper into God's mercy and grace. And what would be the result of Philemon thinking about how merciful God has been to him, a sinner? It would change the way he reacted to and dealt with Onesimus, his runaway slave. As Philemon thought about, meditated on God's grace and mercy to him and all that he had done that offended a holy God, and as he thought about the fact that God says, in Jesus, I forgive you of all that. As he thought about that, it would deepen his understanding of grace and mercy. And this would prompt him to demonstrate the same kind of grace and mercy to Onesimus. You see, loving Jesus should cause us to love others. We can only love Jesus because God first loved us. So God comes to us and loves us in the gospel message. God loves us. God is, that's what I love about God. He's not stingy. He wants to share his love. The triune God in eternity past, Father, Son, and Spirit have this joy and fellowship with one another. And they're just increasing each other's joy. And it's just so awesome what they share And they don't keep it to themselves. We're going to make a people that we share this joy with. And God shows that love that the Trinity shares together. He shows that love by sending his son Jesus. And the gospel comes to us and we turn from our sins and we repent. And we revel in that love and we say, oh God, thank you for loving me. How could you love me? I'm such a terrible sinner. I'm such a wretch. How could you love me? And so our love goes back to God as his love comes down and we're captivated again. And we're like, oh, this is awesome. You love me, God. I don't get it, but you love me. And because of that, I love you. And we want to stay there. And God says, turn around, son, and share that love with others. Turn around, daughter. And share that love with others. But but this is great, Jesus, because you don't get on my nerves and they do and you love me. And God says, turn around, son. Turn around, daughter. As you go deeper into that and you're overwhelmed and say, how can you love me? How can you love me, God? I don't get it. I believe it, but I don't get it. He says, don't stay there. Turn around and share that with others. This passage is not about evangelism. This passage is precisely about deepening your understanding of the gospel, deepening your understanding of God's mercy to you when you did not deserve it so that you can go and show mercy to someone who has offended you, the person that does not deserve it. This passage is about going deep into the gospel. The same gospel that other believers go deep into daily. And coming up out of those gospel waters and getting other people wet with the gospel. This verse is all about understanding the depth and the riches of the gospel message. Which should then captivate our hearts. Which should then catapult us forth in gospel ministry to refresh the hearts of others with the gospel. And it just keeps spreading. So that when someone who has offended you terribly and it's awful comes to you and they're feel terrible and they say, will you forgive me? You don't cross your arms and say, hmm, will you hurt me? You say, you know what? 
Of course I'll forgive you. Do you know how terrible I am? And a holy God in Jesus Christ has forgiven you? Of course I'll forgive you. Come here. God has forgiven me of so much. How can I withhold forgiveness from you? And it just keeps spreading in a church body when that happens. It doesn't spread when we say, let me think about it. You hurt me really bad. Let me tell you what you did. It spreads when we come to grips with the fact that God has forgiven us of everything that we've ever done that has offended him. And then it starts to spread. Here's what I love about the gospel. It brings that kind of freedom that you can look at someone, look them in the eye and say, I forgive you. Here's what I love about the gospel. It's so contagious. If we create a culture here at Grace of Gospel Refreshment where we're always forgiving our spouse, forgiving our kids, forgiving others that get on our nerves and offend us, it's so contagious. And the world will look on. And they will see what we have. And they will want it. Because the world values bitterness and the world values revenge and the world values withholding mercy. But the gospel comes and frees you to say, because I have been forgiven of so much, absolutely I'll forgive you, brother. Absolutely I'll forgive you, sister. Let's come and focus once again on our Savior who makes this possible. Blaise Pascal explains this kind of gospel refreshment well when he said that we should make people wish the gospel were true and then show them that it is. You should have people say, why you do this at your church? That person just offended you. You're going to forgive them? Absolutely. Gosh, I wish that was true. It is true. Come into our community and let me show you how we live. Gospel refreshment happens when hearts that are captivated by Jesus are catapulted to love others. Understand this, Grace. If the gospel is transforming you internally, it should be propelling you outwardly. Your invisible faith in Jesus should become evident in your visible love for others. Your internal joy and faith in Jesus should express itself in external love and service. That's what Philemon did. He refreshed Paul's hearts and he refreshed the hearts of the saints. Look at verse 7. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, brother, the love that you have for all the people in your church. Because the hearts of the saints, all the people in your church, have been refreshed through you. Philemon refreshed Paul's heart. Philemon's gospel-captivated and gospel-catapulted life have brought comfort and joy to Paul. But how did he exactly bring joy and comfort to Paul? Did Philemon order Paul pizza while he was in jail? Did he load up an iPod with a bunch of Peter's sermons on it? You know, pass the time and listen to Peter. He's doing a great series. It's called First and Second Peter or something like that. Is that what brought comfort and joy to Paul's heart? No. It was the way Philemon had refreshed the hearts of the saints, those in his church body. It was the way he valued and loved and cared for the church. Philemon loved his local church. He loved everything about it. 
and it brought refreshment to those who were there. Look at verse 7 again. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. The term hearts here is the word in Greek for the bowels or the guts or the intestines. It's the Greek word splachna. It's like the Greek said, we need, a, we need a word for this. My stomach's grumbling. How about splotna? It says, you refresh the splotna, the intestines, the guts, or the bowels of the hearts I mean, of the saints. And you've done it to me, Philemon. Doesn't mean that he was a great cook. Doesn't mean that Philemon brought Santa Maria-style barbecue to Paul while he was in prison and refreshed his guts. Paul is not saying here to Philemon, the way to an imprisoned apostle's heart is through his stomach. The word that Paul uses here for the heart, the intestines, the gut, is the Greek word which means the seat of emotions or affections. Like when you fall in love, you really don't feel it in your heart. Where do you feel it? Feel it in your gut. When your boyfriend or girlfriend breaks up with you, you don't feel it in your heart. Where do you really feel it? In your gut. That's what Paul's saying. Philemon, you have refreshed the guts or the heart's of the saints. You live a life of gospel refreshment, Philemon. Whenever you show up, you bring joy to the people that you encounter because you love and care for them. He, Philemon lived the kind of life that he lifted people's spirits. And it happened because Philemon was refreshed by the gospel, captivated by Jesus, and then he was catapulted forth on a gospel refreshment mission. Inwardly, Philemon was refreshed by the gospel, and then he went out with that gospel refreshment. Philemon's inward transformation catapulted him out. But this outward thrust of the gospel, we naturally resist because we're selfish sinners. We like it, me and Jesus on the beach. He doesn't bother me. It's all the people at church that bother me. I don't have a problem with Jesus. We're naturally selfish. We don't want to extend that to others. We naturally like to go and look at ourselves in the mirror because we think we're the greatest thing. We don't naturally want to extend that gospel refreshment to others. Which is why Tolian Chavidjan says, Christians avoid the gospel on a daily basis because that's exactly what sin is. If we're honest, we'll admit that every day we try to avoid the gospel at some level. It's what we do whenever we as Christians sin. It's a flight from God in thought, word, or deed. And that flight from God always assumes an avoidance of the gospel. Why do we do this? I'll admit why I do it. It's because the gospel makes me disappear. The gospel obliterates me in a sense. Suddenly life is no longer about my little world and my standards and rules and goals and preferences. It's no longer about me and what I want. It's no longer about my strengths and achievements and attainments. The gospel erases us in that sense, which is why we avoid it. But that erasing of self is the key to our freedom. The gospel doesn't take you deeper into yourself. The gospel takes you away from yourself. That's why Paul reminds the Colossians and us, you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. The gospel frees us to realize that while we matter, we're not the point. 
The gospel frees us from the debilitating frustration of not getting what we think we want because the gospel shouts to all of us that life isn't about our comfort, our ease, our preferences. It's about God and his glory, his gospel, his church, his way, his kingdom. It's about his son, Jesus, reigning as king. Perhaps the biggest difference between the practical effect of sin and the practical effect of the gospel is that sin turns us inward and the gospel turns us outward. The gospel causes us to look up and out away from ourselves. It turns our gaze upward to God and outward to others, both to those inside the church and to those outside it. Philemon was captivated by Jesus and catapulted to love others. And now Paul is calling on his brother to go deeper and deeper once again into the gospel so that he can hit the refresh button on his heart, get captivated once again by Jesus, and then be catapulted to love and forgive Onesimus. Let me ask you today, who is your Onesimus? Who's the person that has offended you that you don't want to forgive because of the pain that they've caused, because of the wrong that they've done, which is probably justified. They've wronged you. They've hurt you. Who's the Onesimus that you don't want to forgive? Is it your spouse right now? Come on, married people. We know we can come to church and put on the mask and walk in and be, hey, everybody, and we just fought in the car. Is it your spouse? Is it your kids, a coworker, a neighbor, somebody here in the church body that you have an issue with? Who's the Onesimus in your life that you say, I'm not going to forgive you because of what you've done? See, it's what we must think about when it comes to sin and reconciliation. You don't focus on their sin. You focus on your sin, how you have offended a holy God. That's the key to reconciliation. Talk about that more next week. The key to reconciliation is not focusing on other people's sin. It's focusing on your sin and how you have offended a holy God. And when you get the verdict that you are not guilty from a holy God because of Jesus, it should catapult you to tell those people, I forgive you. Who's the enemy that you've come face to face with? Remember, Christian, you were once an enemy of God. And he, out of his great love, he sent Jesus to adopt you into his family. And he has forgiven you. Who do you need to forgive today? Who do you need to love? How do you need to refresh the hearts of the saints? Let me tell you, we still need help with Awana on Wednesday nights. We still need some men to listen to some little boys recite God's word back that they've memorized all week. Did you know that gospel refreshment might come to your life on hump day, the middle of the week, Wednesday night, when you're tired and exhausted and you come and serve in Awana? The very gospel promise that you need might come out of the lips of a little seven-year-old boy who's memorized it all week. Are you captivated by Jesus enough to say, you know what, loving these kids and serving these kids is more important than whatever it is I want to watch on TV, whatever it is I've got planned. We also need help with some children's Sunday school classes. Got a lot of pregnant women in this church. That's a good thing. But there's one class that has a lot of pregnant teachers, and they're going to start having their babies soon, and we need people to fill their slots. Are you so captivated by Jesus that you say, I've got to be catapulted out to love and serve others? I don't want to guilt you. 
I want you to love Jesus so much that you say, I want to die to myself because I'm free now. I have everything that I need in Jesus. I don't need anything else. Let me go and give myself away. I don't want to guilt you. But I would be thrilled this week if the phone was ringing off the hook and the emails were coming in saying, where can we serve? Where can we serve? Where can we serve? I would be thrilled. The staff would be thrilled even though we'd be like, whoo, got another phone call. Can't get anything done. But that's a good problem. If you're all saying, we love, call us this week and say, I love Jesus so much, I want to be catapulted into mission. Put me somewhere. We would love that. Where do you need to do that in your life? If not here at the church, where in your life do you need to be catapulted out to love and serve others? It will only happen as you are captivated by Jesus' love for you in the gospel. Gospel refreshment happens when hearts captivated by Jesus are catapulted to love others. He loves us. Oh, how he loves us. Bask in that love. Return that love to him. Let it go like this, but don't let it stay that way. Let it go out to others. We're about to sing how he loves us. Soak it up. Enjoy it. Get your warm fuzzies. I'm going to. And then tell him how much you love him because he loves you. And then leave here empowered by God's transforming grace to go love and serve others. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you are not stingy, greedy, that you did not hoard the love and the intimacy and the fellowship and the joy, Father, that you and your Son and the Holy Spirit had in eternity past, basking in one another's presence, that you didn't keep that to yourself. But as a part of your giving nature, you said we've got to give this away. And we thank you that you've shown the evidence of that love by sending Jesus. Thank you for his life, his perfect life that we could never live, his death and resurrection. Thank you for your spirit that you've given to us, God. May we now be empowered by your spirit to be captivated once more by Jesus, captivated by your love for us. And then, God, would you catapult us out over the selfish walls we build around our lives? Would you catapult us over those to go love and serve others? And then would you get great glory as people get refreshed by the gospel? In Jesus' name, amen. Our hope is that today's message empowers you by God's grace to live God's way. For more information, visit us online at gracebath.net.